You're listening to The Blueprint, brought to you by Executive Platforms. In every episode, we will discuss the topics and trends, the issues and ideas, the challenges and opportunities facing senior business leaders today. This series is one more way we want to engage with our network of industry executives. Thanks for joining us. Hello again, everyone. You're joining us for another episode of Executive Platform's Blueprint Podcast Series. My name is Jeff Mix. I'm Head of Content and Research. My guests today are Mike Kamark. He's a, an executive uh, with a technical and manufacturing background for a number of uh, pharmaceutical companies who now uh, sits on a number of boards. And also Pascal Baycutt uh, from Russell Reynolds, who is an expert on all things to do with talent in this industry. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's a, it's a challenge that every company is facing. There's a lot to discuss. Um, the talent pool is impressive, but it's also finite, and I think uh, everyone is struggling to get the people they need. So I'm so excited for this conversation. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Glad to be here. Pleasure. Why don't we start off, I know you guys are going to be giving a, a presentation a little later today at the event about the issue of talent, and uh, not to have you repeat everything that you're going to do from a stage, that would be silly, but what are some of the key things that you want to put in front of that audience and get them thinking about? Do you want me to start? By all means. Um, Right now, we're in the middle of an incredible boom of new technologies having to do with um, advanced therapeutic medicinal products, ATMPs, and that includes products like gene therapy, cell therapy, CRISPR-Cas, um, mRNA, everyone's heard about mRNA vaccines. Um, in the last couple of years, there's been an absolute boom in venture capital investment in these areas. Um, in, at the same time as venture capital is investing in cryptocurrencies, other, other areas that, um, that have high technology that offer some interesting benefits. In the case of having medical benefits resulting from ATMPs, it's been particularly lucrative for venture companies and for investors. Um, and about 650 companies um, exist in the United States representing those new technologies. 650 companies, all of whom need the technical expertise to make products that have never been made before. Um, uh, Pascal and I met about two years ago um, as a result of a presentation he made about major gaps in, um, in executive uh, skills in this area. We call it technical operations. Maybe I'll pass to him now to speak a little bit about those gaps. Simply put, and even before the technologies came on board, we noticed as a firm focused on leadership and talent, we noticed that in the industry in particular, in this function in particular, there is a generational, not to use the same word, a generational gap coming through the system. Meaning for some reasons, and we, we can speculate about why, but there's a number of executives that are in their mid 50s and older that are fantastic senior leaders and there's some great up-and-comers that are in early 40s and younger, but in between the two, in the, at the time it was in between the 38 and 52-year-old, and so now it's probably moved to 42 to 55-year-old, there's a generation missing. There's not enough talent to actually take over the positions of the senior executives when they retire. So there's a first problem there, combined to a lot of the great executives that were with the big companies moving to the smaller organizations, the 650, 700 companies in the US, 1300 globally. So there's now a, um, a demand for talent that, is, uh, that has increased significantly combined with a generational gap, which means 
the music is going to stop. There's not going to be enough people or enough chairs for everyone to sit, essentially, or the opposite way, whatever the analogy is. Too many chairs. Uh, too many chairs, dancers. not enough <laughs> butts and chairs. Cut that out. Um, <laughs> and that's going to create, uh, it's already creating significant problems. What you see now, which is interesting, I was listening to some of the presentations this morning, is we've been participants in moving some of the great talent from company X to company Y. And the um, replacement of that person that just left is increasingly coming from the outside, which is a proof in the pudding right there that there's not enough upcoming talent ready to take on the senior role. And so there's a domino effect around the industry, which is going to create issues for, for patients down the road. That's where the impact is going to be, which is why Mike and I teamed up two years ago to, to, to be here today. So, I mean, it does sound like a really daunting challenge because it's not just a case of there is a, a age gap, a, a missing generation of uh, rising talent. It's also a case of the industry is uh, diversifying and exploding and each one of these little companies needs a CTO. Each one of these companies needs someone with manufacturing expertise of a thing that they're still inventing how to manufacture. What is, and I'm not saying you have the solution, but what are we doing to try to you know, bridge this uh, divide? Well, before we go to a solution, which is not going to be easy at this point in time. But before we go to a solution, let's also consider that these roles that used to be very difficult are probably now the most important jobs in the C-suite. Mm -hmm. and, and the most difficult because it requires a combination of technology, all of these new technologies we're talking about, and it requires the ability to be able to communicate these new technologies and their financial impacts to a company, to the CEO, to the board of directors, and to other colleagues in the C-suite. And in a sense, the technical operations head of an organization, large or small, becomes the central hub of all the activities coming in and is inevitably the critical path activity the most expensive activity and the one that requires the most headcount, the most per, um, personnel. Um, so that role in its centrality has skills that, that require both um, high level um, administrative executive skills in communication, in networking, and also enough technical background to be able to to implement and know when these things are making sense. They can't possibly know everything. Um, so th they're not only rare right now, and there's not only gaps right now, but there are additional skills that these executives need to deliver having to do with the importance in the organization, the global nature of all the businesses, uh, the elements of their business. And finally, everyone now wants to know about digitation and AI, and those implementations also are going to become central to the technical operation roles. Uh, just to make matters even more challenging, so the job itself, for reasons you explained, becoming more challenging. One of the new data points that we're going to present uh, later this morning, which is a little bit of a shock for me, and I was showing you this a, a couple of weeks back, but at Russell Reynolds, we, we actually... Uh, interview and um, monitor uh, what we call the Leadership Confidence Index. We interview thousands of executives every year and ask them a series of 13 questions about how they feel about their leadership situation, their leadership uh, methodologies and the skills and the levels. And never before across industries, never before have we seen such a decline over the last two years in the confidence 
that people have in their leadership teams, specifically CEOs to the executive team and the up-and-comers into the executive teams as well. So it's a, there's a, an erosion of confidence in leadership across industries. And to my shock, th that, that in and of itself is you know, to be taken very seriously. And what, what caused it? Is it the pandemic and the way the, the world changed and, or is it uh, a number of other factors? Who knows? What shocked me is that the worst performing industry where there's been the biggest fall off is healthcare. Mm. And, and uh, that is troubling. So that makes that job for the entire team, but obviously for, for the tech ops leadership, even more challenging now because of that erosion of trust that we're going to have to deal with and to, to, to manage through despite the added challenges that we have. I would love the to world is coming to an end. Just so we're, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're going to get to the solution. I would actually love to uh, expand on that just a little bit, and I think you touched on it. What are some of the root causes that might uh, underline why it hits healthcare so much more? It's right now. It's speculation, and Mike had just as many ideas as, as to why. It, it it could be a combination of um, uh, the change uh, the change in the workplace. Uh, which is generalized, but in healthcare, the, the pressures to continue to deliver drugs mm. is there, and therefore the, the changes in, in hybrid work methodologies um, is putting pressure on families and on people in a way that that's not happening elsewhere because uh, we still have to manufacture those drugs. Uh, we were speculating as well about how a lot of that great talent has gone to those uh, you know one-trick pony, one can one drug candidate company in which the venture cap organization invested a lot of money and everything was uh, built uh, with the thought that it was going to take three to five years to get the candidate through approval. And now, roughly eight months ago it happened, that the valuations of a lot of those companies has come crashing. Actually, you have better data than I on that. Well, look, we went through an incredible boom period when um, literally over the last 10 years when interest rates have been zero to 2%, um, debt is cheap. And so investment money, both by big pharma and into little biotechs, has exploded. And then COVID was added to that. So we have zero interest rates, and then all of a sudden you have a worldwide demand for us to step up with new drugs. And we exploded investment. Um, $100 billion was spent just on capital investments, anticipating manufacturing requirements, um, about, 80, about $80 billion was, was spent investing in companies between 2009 and the middle of two, 2000, 2019 and the middle of 2022. And then what happened? The worst possible thing, COVID disappeared. All the COVID investments that had been made all of a sudden couldn't recover. And then with Ukraine and other global issues, the interest rates started climbing. So now the interest rates are starting to choke off that the flexibility of debt and further investment, which means that for the small biotech companies, they can no longer go out and, and put data out there and expect to get additional money to continue. So many of them on their, are on their last year of, of Cash, money. Yeah. Um, um, I think about 200 companies are operating under the cash, their stock value is under the cash value that they have. And, um, and it makes it very difficult <clears throat> in the technical operation space, which, as I said before, is spending most of the money. And so all of that frustration is leading to a lot of companies laying off. 
people. Even big pharma companies are laying off people. And when things get tough financially, morale goes down, and I think that exacerbates the other things you're talking about to make, um, to, to reduce the, the confidence level within the industry and of the industry. So there's no, there's no way around it. We have to accelerate the leadership development of the next generation leaders. That's the solution. That's what we have to do. And it cannot be a, you know, although I appreciate that every pharma company is competing with the other pharma companies, this is, has to be an industry-wide solution. Otherwise, if there's just one or two or three winners, there's going to be 17 or 170 losers from a talent perspective. So industry-wide, we're creating a program where we can essentially teach and train the leadership skills uh, that one must have when they arrive in the C-suite, not wait another 10 years. That generational gap is standing in the way, and that's what we're going to be talking about today in our presentation. Well, hold on. I, I would love actually for you to just take a minute and expand on that. Well, when we first discussed this two years ago, we imagined a program of 12 to 15 people in the generation, the upcoming generation, that would meet four times a year extensive uh, visits together, training, working with metrics that um, Russell Reynolds has developed to help evaluate personality, bring in master classes from other people in the industry that have worked on it. And, um, and we sold it to a number of people, particularly in the larger companies, that were enthusiastic. They had people that they wanted to prepare to be their successors. Ultimately, we had to step away from it because all the financial concerns and of the 15 or 16 companies that we were interested in, easily half said, can't do it. It's a little bit too much money. Four times a year is too much. So we came back and brainstormed it. And why don't you talk about the second generation? It's going to be the second generation is going to be a one time three day super intense uh, driven by master classes again, so a lot of uh, psychological leadership development science on the one end, combined with the best minds and the best leaders of the industry coming together to, to teach that class, to teach that cohort um, how they made it to the top and how they're successfully leading. So it's going to be a really rich, really intense, you know, take your vitamins before you show up kind of place uh, or kind of uh, program and where, um, where hopefully that group will create links in those three days together so that they can continue to help each other. Apprenticeship is second to none in our industry in terms of learning, which is why all of those leaders splitting to go to the 700 companies in the U.S., they're now alone working there at, that, at their level, if you wish. So they can't benefit from learning from their peers, whereas in a big pharma company, there's another 15 people at your level that you can go ask questions to. So that's what we're going to try to create, is a, a sort of a self-fulfilling positive prophecy. The building of networks among people in the industry, where without, um, without sharing company secrets, they can work together technically and help each other develop new technologies. And our real goal for these ATMPs is to develop platforms. And those platforms become standardized ways of making the new products that then the contract manufacturing organizations can also adopt. Companies can then make a decision to go to a contract manufacturer, build their own facility, or even use someone else's facility. Because when you have a platform, everyone shares. That brings in an extraordinary efficiency, cost savings for the cost of these medicines, and it builds speed and flexibility. Um, so that networking is going to be a critical part 
of the uh, program and it has always been a critical part of adopting new technologies and, and bringing them to bear. I wonder if we can speak through the lens of talent attraction, talent development, talent retention. Uh, a program like this that you are making available to the executives that you're saying, we believe in you, we're investing with you, that's got to be a really powerful way to hold on to the people that you really depend on, while also acknowledging, you know, some of it is you're going to develop a skill set and go on and do something else, but we're investing in you. Um, can we speak about that? I, I think, uh, you know, just think individually, everyone sitting in this chair right now, if you have a company that tells you, I want to accelerate your leadership, I will invest in you, I will bring uh, the, the, the masterminds of this industry to come over three days to teach you how valued do you feel by being invested in, uh, into like that. I, th I, think, I think it will increase. But it's not even just about that. It really is, we're, the reason we're working together is that this is a, a real industry-wide issue. The talent equation, if you listen to all those presentations, every single one of them at one point said talent will be uh, a differentiator in terms of chances of success in the future. And and there, there's just not going to be enough of them. So um, over and above the retention of the one individual, I think protecting the industry and the patient's best interest, the purpose-driven um, uh, uh, industry that we have is the key here. Our interest, our interest is really in bringing the whole industry up because it all works together, particularly when we're all working in these new exciting modalities, the ATMPs. Um, but when people talk about the talent pool, they're talking about a low end, a lower end and a deeper end. And this isn't a solution to all of the talent pool issues where, where um, Pascal and I are really focusing is on the deep end, if you will where the senior executives are in a position to learn more, work on communication skills, learn about the way they can best manage and retain the people that they get. There are other organizations that are working to train people coming out of school. There's an organization in Ireland called NIBERT that does tr specific training for people who are working in laboratories. Um, there's a similar organization in uh, North Carolina State and importantly, both of those organizations for training operators exist in an environment, the RTP environment in North Carolina and in Ireland, in Dublin and in Cork, in places where the people will then go to work. So I think there's another future that we're not focused on right now, which is build training centers where, um, where these industries are building their manufacturing facilities. But I think this is a start in that it builds the expertise for people who can then encourage and develop um, those other initiatives. Okay, well let's talk specifically about the master classes then because that is definitely the piece that you're, you're focusing on. How many of them are you going to organize? How should companies be finding out information about them and getting involved? We're going to be launching formally at the Biomanufacturing World Summit in San Diego. That's a plug for executive platforms. <laughs> uh, so that's when we're going to be launching it to start in the spring or in uh, March uh, 2024. Um, we're still in the, in the process of, of condensing the, the four times three days classes and program that we have um, put together already, for which was to launch this year. Um, so that, that's a lot to compress into little times, and we're, we're going to find the more um, uh, salient, uh, both master classes and uh, um, leadership development uh, uh, substructures so that we can we can invest in those 
And the, the one that comes to mind, for example, that I think is really unique to uh, some of the, the leaders we're going to be facing is that up until the point you're promoted, you must have lived this, up to the point when you're promoted to the number one role, your entire set of peers is technical operations trained and you, you lead and you, you can impact and influence through technical language and technical leadership, if you wish. When you are in the C-suite for the first time, suddenly your peer is the head of HR and the head of finance and the head of sales and the head of legal, and they don't speak the technical language necessarily, most of them. In fact, I actually think there, there's a, a, a great gap in between the head of tech ops and the other C-suite functions, uh, which is why a board member, Mike Mark, uh, uh, that actually can uh, help the whole C-suite understand technical operations makes a huge difference in my point of view. But that's going to be the kind of training. How do you land in the C-suite uh, the first time that you get there? That's a great point, Pascal. And I've, I've often viewed the transition of a very smart engineer who's working with other smart engineers getting promoted into the most senior position is like the phase shift of water to ice or maybe water to boiling water is a better analogy, um, because the skills that you had are really no longer as important. Mm -hmm. And having, having too much technical information that you can't communicate simply to a board or to a CEO undermines your, your skills and your ability to communicate and um, to all of your peers in the other C-suites is going to be critical. Um, one of my one of my unfortunate observations is that many top-notch engineers get promoted and will go through that phase transition, um, and that's the best way to end their careers. That's where they die. That's actually where my uh, follow-up question was going to be, um, avoiding the Peter principle, where an incredibly mm -hmm. competent person, because they're so incredibly competent, has been promoted to a position where what they're competent at isn't necessary, and they necess don't necessarily have the competence at that new level to do what they need to do. So in the same way, yes, they, they, they have all the technical expertise and they can speak to engineers, you're going to be teaching them as well how to speak to that rest of the C-suite, translating what tech ops needs into a language a CFO or a CHRO can understand. Right. Yeah. Now you did mention it just a little bit earlier that this is something you're going to formally announce at the Biomanufacturing World Summit in San Diego, and thank you so much for that plug. Um, what are you doing to sort of get a buzz going and a, a groundswell going? We're introducing it here as a teaser. We're, we're going to explain what we're going to do. Uh, we owe it to the industry because we had uh, launched the, the, the broader um, uh, version, if you wish, at the, uh, a year ago. And uh, now we're recalibrating to what we think is going to work best for the industry. But today is going to be a teaser. It's going to be uh, explaining what's coming. And we really want those smaller organizations that don't have the same means as, as the giants to, to send uh, their top leaders or one of their top leaders to, to this program so that the, the entire industry um, can rise. A rising tide lifts all boats. Gentlemen, it's a really exciting project, and I'm so pleased you were able to sort of give us a sneak peek of it here. I, uh, I wish you the best with the presentation later today, and uh, when you do this in San Diego, the formal launch, we'll be sure to film it and share that as well and help you spread the good word. In the meantime, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Pleasure. You've been listening to another episode of Executive Platform's Blueprint podcast series. I've been Jeff Mix. Let's do it again soon.